I've provided 10,000 days employment to uh, non-white creatives in the UK. You've gone from being a super high achiever that you didn't even know that you had the capability of being mm -hmm. to going in and out of six schools mm -hmm. and becoming homeless. Mm -hmm. How did we get here? Your company's making six figures as a non-profit non company, right? How did you actually get involved in what you're doing right now? Then at 17, there was 18 even, there was like a life-changing moment where I left London and I didn't come back from really? here. Really? You and YCUK and the company that you guys have built are literally the reason that we're even doing this today. We're in our first studio. Like it had a view of the London Eye, yeah. and all that kind of stuff. And that was because of the YCUK team. We loved it. We got involved, we got stuck in. And then here we are a couple of years later relate to anything from billionaires to gang members because I've met them both and made money. Both. Yes, people, we're back. By this time you'll see this is probably way into the new year, but by this time you've seen this right now, all the time we're recording this, it's a new year. So happy new year. I hope you guys are doing well. But today we have an amazing guest. And you know what? We are very big on honor, right? Here at Purpose Level, we're very big on honor. So one of the founding fathers of Purpose Led is here in the building today. This man here opened the doors for us. I always say all the time, we always say all the time, when it comes to great things in life, you need great people there to assist you on the journey. When it comes to great things in life, you need great people to assist you on the journey. And this man here has been a pillar in our journey, not only for now, but also for the future. You'll see what's going on there. But today we have Mr. Chris. He is a social entrepreneur and also our coach, but most importantly, an amazing brother. And we're happy to, and looking forward to having you on the episode today. How are you feeling? Feeling good. Glad to be here. How do you find yeah. it? How do you find the introduction there? Yeah, nice. Nice. <laughs> Pretty humbling, to be honest. Thank you. Thank, thank you, you. Thank you, man. Thank you for your kind words. Chris, talk to me. First and foremost, thank you for coming. Yeah. Thank it's you for being here. Like, we're very much happy to have you here. But talk to the people. Talk to us and talk to the people. What exactly is it that you do? So currently, mm -hmm. uh, I co-run Young Creators UK which is a social enterprise. It's a not-for-profit. It's a creative and production agency that is co-owned and co-run by young people. Wow. And what we kind of do is we disrupt multiple sectors. We disrupt the third space, the charity sector, with our innovative funding model. That also disrupts the cultural sector. Um, we, we challenge youth services because we give young people not just control, we give them equity. They co-own the business with us, right? As in they, they own the business with yeah. you, as in like they become business owners as well. Yes, my actual business partner, Yasmin, who you two know, yeah. right? Up, yes. shout yeah, out. shout out to Yasmin. Um, she owns it 50-50 with me currently wow. and we're about to give away micro equity to all our contractors. Amazing. Uh, but Yasmin walked into a youth centre at 16 and met me when I was doing creative workshops Five years later, she co-owned a six-figure creative agency uh, with her former youth worker. So, pause. You said six figures. Someone would be thinking, but it's non-profit. Can you explain how those question. two even align? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, as I said, it's an innovative funding model, isn't it? Okay. So, our kind of philosophy is we're humanist. Mm -hmm. we're, we're kind of very values-led as an organization. Yeah. And I think, quite non-compromising in that okay. which uh you know when you stand for something i think that's far more investable than when you're just a thing yeah right yes, yes. um and that's no that's a big point by the way you know if you stand for something you're a lot more investable mm. why is that what that's huge because if so many people are just here no backbone no foundation they want to go for they want to go for investing they want to go for funding but there's nothing there to invest in mm. so but what you're saying there is, is a huge point there yeah, and I think there's a duality to that, right? When you have a mission, uh, 
clients and backers, supporters, partners, sponsors, but also staff, mm-hmm. they can all stand behind a mission, 100%. right? People, yeah, it lines people up towards a common goal mm-hmm. and it takes away the need for just a charismatic leader or an mm-hmm. exciting product because we have, uh, you know, we have a, a better world we want to create and we're asking you to come on the journey. Yeah. It just so happens that we make the bag and provide a creatively excellent product along the way. Yeah. It's almost a byproduct. You're like, of course I'll take the product. Yeah. So I want to see this better world, right? Yeah. So yeah, with our yeah, with our model, how do we how do we do it? We we deliver creative services. Yeah. But when you look at the British creative sector, right, there's whole brands out there that feel like they belong to communities. Take Jordan and Nike. They feel like they represent particular parts of the community, right? Yeah. All those companies, the yeah. majority of well, the UK creative sector is 89% white, 92% upper middle class. Wow. Wow. So think of the commodification that's going on there. Mm. Um, so what we do is we open the back door to the creative sector by giving young underrepresented talent, systems, opportunities, equipment, and uh, placement, and really the mentality to just like fail forwards through challenge-based learning to deliver at that level. And it's interesting, what, there's always this great moment where people are like, ah, oh, I'm curious about this like socially impactful, curious, unusual thing that's kind of a charity, but it's making a lot of money hmm. and it's helping people, but, and they have a great product, but look how many people. They're helping, like, what is this thing? And then they get the product in their hand and it's competitive with anything else in the market. If anything, a bit cheap for what it is, in my opinion. And and this is in a year where we've got our average commission to five figures, right? So average, we've, average commission is five figures. Average commission, yeah. and um, From a team of young people. And yeah, and in the, in the month from the last event where we met up, the event yeah. you guys came and supported yeah, yeah, us. Yeah, Premier. Yeah, that was our biggest ever commission at 40k. Off the back of that, doubled it, already booked for 80K. And that's the, so that's the growth. Let's just put up. <laughs> so, I, we yeah. came to a premiere that you guys ran of a mm-hmm. project that you just kind of done or a mm-hmm. commission that you just done or just mm-hmm. worked on. And that was for 40K. Mm-hmm. And off the back of that, you got an 80K deal. Yeah, yeah. And this is all because of, of course, yourself and then the other people that are involved, which are like from underrepresented back- backgrounds, yeah, young yeah. people. This yeah. is nuts, bro. So it's almost like, imagine the very thing that everyone here is trying to, in the market, is trying to commodify or impersonate, right? Think how much the youth market is and certain cultural trends are worth. Mm -hmm. Why have you got people, maybe like me, trying to sell to people like yourself who are young, right? Our whole kind of cultural reference framework is out of skew. I didn't grow up with a smartphone. Do you know what I mean? I do not have your spending behaviors, your patterns of behavior, whatever. Mm. Why not just have young people selling to young people? That is so interesting because we see that a lot now with influencers. Right. And why don't people take that, like, the, not the, necessarily the influencer culture, but the people that get it and they're actually in the target market that they're actually trying to go for and then use them or work with them to actually be able to reach that target market. It just makes sense. Like yep. What you're saying just makes a lot of sense. And I have to big you up 10 times. We didn't even say this at the start, but you're literally, you and YCUK and the company that you guys have built are literally the reason that we're even doing this today. Because I don't know if you guys remember, but season one, if you don't remember, we'll put it in a card, we'll put it there, we'll put it somewhere, it'll probably be in the description. But you'll be able to see when we were in, um, we were in our first studio, <laughs> like it had a view of the London Eye, yeah. and all that kind of stuff. And that was because of the YCUK team. My boy JJ called me and said, hey, bro, I, I, you, you, should, you should check out this space, you know. Like we was talking about starting a podcast 
And then JJ called us up and then said, oh yeah, you guys should check out the space. I came down, checked out the space, brought Rob, he checked out the space. Mm. We loved it. We got involved, we got stuck in. And then here we are a couple of years later, coming all full circle. So appreciate you for that. You really are giving young creatives a chance in the UK. Thank you. That's, that's my thing is, we never actually, like we're never on a project like with the cameras there, but you still helped us out in a way which we can never even fathom. Like millions of people impacted now around the world. Lives have been saved, changed and transformed just by you saying yes to us. So don't ever, ever, ever belittle the work you've done. But you know what? We spoke a bit, we spoke a bit about social work. Why did you in particular so, get involved? Social impact. Social impact. Social work. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, oh, no, 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 no just, youth work, not youth work. Class not circle. Youth, wait, sorry. What's the difference? Social work, youth work and social impact. Is there much of a difference? So, like, it's, it's, it's terminology, in it? Like, okay. social work, because there are social workers employed okay. by the government, is generally seen as the people who handle, like, family issues, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. So, that's what, so you can do a degree in social work. Okay. Um, social impact is literally just a scale of impact that you have on, on a positive or negative impact in society. So positive. Yeah, yeah. And then... Youth works, just working with young people, but it's a scale. So I'm a social entrepreneur. My whole thing is I believe I like that, that you can... Yeah, I like that. I believe you can... I do I do not believe that it's binary, that you, you have to be a bad person to succeed or you have to be ruthless or cutthroat. You have to be decisive. You have to be clear. Mm -hmm. You have to have a purpose, a mission, a value. None of those things can be... Uh, can make necessarily make you weaker. You can actually be resolute in your beliefs and incredibly successful. And it's been proven time and again. So I believe that companies can have a much more positive role to play in people's lives. And my general experience from, I've only been employing people about a decade. Mm. Is when you, <laughs> from the start, I treated people with dignity. And I, if I understood your motivations as a human, uh, even small things, right? If I had three videographers on a shoot, mm -hmm. And they all quoted me different rates, but I could see they were the same skill set. I would budget for the high rate and I'd pay them all and I'd tell them all. Mm. I'd be like, oh, well, my guy quoted 450 a day. I would never be trying to make a quick 100 a day off someone. And the difference of doing that is every time they answer the phone, it's, yes, Chris. What's up? What are you saying? What can we do? Yeah, how can we help? Can yeah, we? yeah, they're in it because they know you're not trying to chief them yeah. in any way. Because my responsibility as an entrepreneur is to get my bag, not chief you out of yours. Mm. Do you know what I mean? There are bigger fish up there that I can go and eat from yeah. than my guy with a camera. So like, we're, in my view, it's like, it's kind of us against them, isn't it? There's yeah. this big miscellaneous pool of like clients in a positive way. I want to service my clients. Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah, right? But at the same we time, too. we love our clients. We love our clients. <laughs> yeah, but I also, you know, I love getting the bag. Yeah. yeah. So I've kind of decided to always be humanitarian in my work, always invest in people. My, my, my company looks after people mm. and the people look after the company. It's a culture thing, mm. you okay, know? Okay, quick question, right? Mm. So for anyone who's watching this right now, we know you, but I want us to go a bit deeper. So, you mm. spoke about so far that you've got a, your, your company's making six figures as a non-for-profit non company, right? How did you actually get involved in what you're doing right now? Mm. Okay. We, we, I'm not sure how much we could talk about because of the because of the time of the episode. Yeah, that yeah, yeah, that's got. fine. So but I definitely want to get started with this because yeah, it's interesting. So there's 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 two parts, right? Mm. Which I think we got time to cover. There's the start of me in youth work, and there's my own lived experience as a young man in Britain. Right. Okay. And one begat the other, right? Um, 
I had, in my younger days, I had a, a very difficult, um, challenging upbringing in some ways. Um, and had a lot of experiences. I went from being in the scholarship set at a very elite school, put into Menza uh, 11. What's Menza? It's like a high IQ society. Oh, wow. Okay. I, did, I didn't know about it. I did, a again, like... A, I would, I'd never stood out because we didn't have SATs when I was at school. So I'd never been tested. I just was coasting along, happy with my Legos and that, writing poems and, and to be honest, chasing girls at junior school, right? That, yeah. was, all, that, was, that was my thing. Yeah. And then um, then I got into secondary school and I did an exam and I got one of the highest uh, verbal reasoning scores they'd ever seen. Um, I think it was like 94% or something crazy. And that, that continued and it came out that I was quite gifted in a very specific and unusual way. Uh, then I did a men's uh, maths test thing, didn't know what I was doing. And I think I got in the top 8%, 8% of mathematical minds in the UK wow. at that age. And again, with no training, no, no one had, it, this was raw talent, mm -hmm. unfocused natural uh, ability. And I went from that point at 11 to having gone to another six schools out of education and homeless by like 15, 16. Okay. So in in four years, okay, like what, five years? Yeah. Five to, five to six, four to, four to six years, you've gone from being a super high achiever that you didn't even know that you had the capability of being mm -hmm. to wow. going in and out of six schools mm -hmm. and becoming homeless. Mm -hmm. wow. How did we get here? <laughs> what? Um, school in my experience, doesn't suit disruptive characters like myself. It doesn't suit, um, suit innovators. Entrepreneurs are famous for getting thrown out of schools, it seems like, and not being suited. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, school, in a large way, is about conformity. It's about teaching conformist um, ideology and thoughts. And that's not a bad thing. It's also about growth and learning. I'm not going to get into attacking the education system i think education is vitally important mm. but it does astound me as someone who now educates himself develops all the time who loves learning mm. that i had such a bad time in education wow. interesting that isn't it yeah the fact that i wasn't conventional basically meant they couldn't put me in a box when you can't put me in a box and they'd be like show me show me you're working out on the maths i'm like there is no working out like i worked out that some seven years ago Wow. And I just remember it now. I don't need to work it out. I know what I know that. Move on. Do you know what I mean? Wow. Like, why are you making me waste my time with this? Yeah. And that was the kind of thing. And obviously, other factors in my life at that age, um, around my home life and other things affected my ability to do homework um, and attend. And also, a lot of, when something like that suddenly announced to you from nowhere, it creates a lot of pressure. And you, you, there's suddenly this, this, this uh, huge shadow of potential looms over you. And if you go from normality, uh, a typical junior school kid, to surrounded by very rich, very elite young people who are super bright, very arrogant, all the confidence that comes with being raised around wealth and security, mm. and very healthy in some ways, it was just too much. It was too much change at once, and unfortunately it coincided with the sort of deconstruction of my core family unit. So my parents separated in that period. Okay. And in that process, I was sort of back and forth between them so much. And I got into other things like graffiti and naughtier things, to be quite honest. Yeah. 
it made no difference where I slept. Let's just say my life got to that point that one day I just didn't want to go home and deal with it, so I didn't. Mm. And I was, yeah, that's sort of what happened in uh, in summary, yeah. Wow, till 17. And how do we get from 17 to now? So I had a sort of life, because I was told I was trouble. Mm-hmm. And from, from what age? Well, I'm guessing like school number two. School number two, because yeah. I'd come from a better school. And I, this was still another private school, so another very good school. Oh, I mean, right. so pri- as in, okay, so yeah. the six schools, but they were all private schools? No, the first two were. The first, all right. They got smart after that. Just <laughs> <laughs> because, what, you were smart? Yeah, it was a combination of things. Bad attitude. Um, also, there was, like, um, other things that schools would pick up on and not want to address. Right. Things that would not slide now. Mm. That would trigger all sorts of safeguarding things, but... You know, you got 30 successful kids in a class and you got this one high-need kid drinking resources, schools in trouble. It's easier to just get rid of them. You don't want your league tables affected, especially at a private school. Mm. You know, um, and uh, I was well gate. There was good gatekeeping around me, so it's quite hard for people to help me, I would say. So even when well-intentioned people got involved, I was 14, 13, there's, I'm, I'm not in control of my destiny at that age. So sort of went in a washing machine of people trying to help me, not being able to get in, being moved around. All sorts of things went on in that period of my life. Um, and unfortunately, a lot of my family members have enduring like mental health conditions that makes them not bad people, but makes them hard people to grow up with. Got you. So that's why, that's what even prompted that sentence yeah. to me. Yeah, yeah. So then... Then at 17, there was 18 even, there was like a life-changing moment where after being told I was trouble and going on this sort of spiral. Yes, people. So if you are liking this episode so far, please do us a favor, please, because it helps us out. It helps this world out. Leave a like, leave a comment. If you're on audio, put the five stars there. Trust me, we're on a mission right now. Please just help us grow. Help us help you. So please do that. Have an amazing day. Enjoy the episode. Let's go. I finally got in like the trouble, mm-hmm. the big trouble with a group of people who actively, proactively tried to take my life um, multiple times. Mm. Um, and it came to a point where there was a level of violence that they were willing to commit to that was not in my nature as a human. And although there was a, there was a specific night after I'd been walking where I... Fine, I'll tell the story. I've been walking where I lived mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I lived on a big hill at the time and I was walking down the hill and I saw a car coming up the hill and this is a big hill, mm. right? So I'm like, oh no, I'm not going to be able to run outrun a car up yeah. a hill. Yeah, right? yeah. I like, um, so you look back and you're seeing the car now? No, the car's coming up the hill towards me oh, and then, you can't and then I clock who's in the yeah. car and there's like five people deep in this car and none of them like me. The two people who particularly want me are yeah. in this car and yeah. everyone else is bigger than them yeah and i'm like oh my days i'm like i'm done so you saw a car of trouble yeah more like a car that could have been life ending so as they came up they came onto the pavement at me so i was like i, I got no choice i ran at the car huh <laughs> yeah i ran at I it was not expecting <laughs> why do you do that because <laughs> uh, i don't want to get run from behind didn't it if i'm gonna be hurt i'm gonna control how i get hurt so i ran skimmed the bumper kind of rolled over it uh i don't remember feeling any pain all i remember was checking that my limbs still worked and 
gassing it up the hill because hitting me made them get out the car because they thought they thought they're they're whatever. Right. So they oh, all, so they, they they're on a pavement now. So they've all come up. Yeah. I've gone over the thing. People have stopped to look and I'm thinking maybe someone will help me because I'm still a child. Right? Mm. I'm still only 17. I was small for my age. I didn't really grow till I was older. So anyway, so they chased me, <laughs> chased me up this. They got out of the car, which is what I wanted them to do. Chased me up this hill. And one of them, I remember, had a, a machete. And I remember feeling you know when you feel like the wind like when something swings like when your mate yeah. swings like even something like a belt near you yeah i literally just felt it run just through the edge of my hair at full spin and this is a big six foot plus dude swinging at my head yeah. and i just got in my front door like just huh? just so, but then they they knew they, where you were living yeah they, the people that were on me at that age lived about 400 meters from my house that is nice so that happened what stopped them from running in? I don't know. Like, they were about it up until the front door. <laughs> I don't know what to say in it. They were willing to swing at my head in the street with... with the, anyway, so I thought and placed myself in a situation where I could make a counter move. Um, I, I had an opportunity. I was smarter, sneakier. And then I had a choice. And I had the choice of choosing to live or choosing that path. And I left... I left the space where I guess you'd say I had the drop on them, whatever the terminology is. Not that I carried guns, nothing like that. But I had an opportunity where they were vulnerable because I knew them. And I was just like, you're not this. Mm -hmm. This is not. Like, I don't know how you ended up here. And I left London and I didn't come back for really? a year. Okay. So this is this is 18. and Yeah, 18. I so I left London. Well, so they, they tried to get you and you had your chance to get back. Yeah, like you said right. This is a pivotal moment. You maybe didn't even say this, but like, you realize I do not want this life. Nah, I realized like there's a fun to trouble. There's a certain element of fun, especially when you have no self worth. Wow, you know, which I didn't. I had no go there, regard. Please. Go there, please. That's, well, a, that's a big point. Say yeah, that again, please. I mean, after, yeah, yeah. So after being like homeless at seventeen, you potentially felt that sense of um, being worth less. Potentially because it's like, okay, this place doesn't want me. Oh. This place doesn't want me. Deep, deep, deeper around. than that. Um, part of what led to me leaving home mm. was the the way uh, the kind of mental health issues manifested was when my identity formed, it was utterly like rejected by my family. Oh, right. Of members of my family. It was a very challenging uh, period. And in fact, the the more gifted I became... And the more my gifts manifested, the more challenging it became for others who didn't realize they were threatened by it, but they were. Intimidated. Yeah, yeah, it was a challenge, you know. Um, I didn't know this. Like, I didn't ask to be given a very high IQ. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just a child. In other families, you know, I'd have been doing every club activity and invested in, you know, I never had like a paid for hobby, like a language or an instrument or anything like that. Not mm. that I was, I had holidays, I had a house, mm. you know, so some markings of a middle class life. I was definitely like, it was like my gifts brought a bill to the family, mm. an expensive wow. uniform. Do you know what I mean? And I, I remember being like, I just couldn't take the burden of that. Mm. To be honest, you know, I'm, um, yeah. So it wasn't like a blessing for me at all. The moment that happened, everything changed for me in a very bad way. And then in school, I didn't fit. I found it hard to make friends. 
I went for a period when I was like 14 where I, went, I decided I'd stop speaking um, to see how long it would be before someone noticed I hadn't spoken, whether the school would pick it up. And I got to three months and no one had clocked that I hadn't spoken. Sorry, what? Three months. No one, no matter. No matter. You didn't speak for three months. Didn't speak out loud for three months. I wanted to see, because I had been so put in this this place, I wanted to see how long it would go. And I remember, I remember the school put me in one of the boarding houses because of my home life. And a girl, oh my gosh, just a double up teenage boy, older girl that I really fancied comes into the kitchen. I, I think her name was Hannah. Anyway, I had a mad crush. And she spoke to me. She was the first person to speak to me directly, conversationally, yeah. in three months. And because I hadn't spoken, my voice came out mad. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, three months of no talking. Yeah. Me. Well, I just stopped. At home as well. Yeah, yeah. No one noticed. Uh, so did you feel neglected at that time? That's, yeah. That, there's a lot that went there that I, I don't think is really appropriate to get into. Mm. Or I'm not that comfortable. But yeah. That's sort of, but that's like, not, that's symptomatic of where my life was at that age. So when your, your, your gifts have alienated you, they've taken you away from your peers. Also, when, where I lived, wearing that school uniform got me jumped every day. Mm. Because everyone thinks you're rich because every other kid who went there is rich. They haven't heard of assisted places or scholarships or secondhand uniform sales. So I want to talk about that bit because obviously you're on a social, you're on a, you're on a social cultural work, right? We spoke about a minute ago how 89% of that work is rich upper class people yeah how and obviously you have not come from the rich upper class environment but people naturally will assume you're from that environment how do you deal with that stereotype or um, the stereotyping from the people and also just the assumption that you're from this even though you actually have lived a life whereby you understand it and also trying to help people get mm -hmm. out of the other side as opposed to look at it from like a oh I want to come and profit off this how do you deal with that so I think it's twofold. I think as uh, uh, like a white male in society, there's natural privileges I'm born into. Mm. And like, obviously you have to, uh, you have to acknowledge that. And I don't think the prejudice that I face there, that people assume I'm from somewhere better than I am, is, is worse in any way than how most young people are treated in Britain or women are treated or whatever. Anyone from a non-sort of privileged or mainstream cultural space, mm. anyone from the margins coming in, they'll have assumptions made about them immediately, right? You both well have faced it, right? You will get treated walking into certain rooms differently to how I will. That's mm. just how society is rigged. So on one level, it, it doesn't bother me, mm. right? Because it's like what, like my little 1%, where I'm not comfortable in society is not as big as the, the the spaces. But I think I think professionally when um when people then see your work and your values and the life you live and then they still assume it's easier to, to kind of put you in a box, I don't think I should have to tell my story to be like worthy of empathy. Do you know what I mean? There is like a, a huge privilege that comes from being able to look and talk like me but they're also non-visible forms of marginalization the, the journey I've walked it is more likely that I would be an addict dead or in jail than a functioning adult right now significantly yeah. I'm like less than 
less than a 1% shot, right? And when you get to less than 1%, you're basically talking zero. If you add up the contributing factors that I survived in youth and adolescence to becoming a happily married, functional, successful male who actually manifests his life, still battle my mental health. Mm -mm -mm. We'll talk about that next time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I think... I've never wanted to sell my story. I kind of wanted to talk on here because mm. you guys know me and I don't talk about this side of me very often, but there's a reason I can relate to anything from billionaires to gang members. Wow. Because I've met them both and I made money with both. Any any big personality differences? I think people who have been through struggle are kinder. Mm. Even when they're... Even with people from the... Maybe with the more street background there's still like uh like a codes they recognize a real one do you know what i mean like that's saying would they back it mm. right the difference between knowing someone backs you in that part of your world you know when someone's really about it right like you two have this great relationship where you know whatever happens you've got each other's back and those relationships are critical and i think that's one of the things like that's a skill i accumulated from that world being a, a very skinny well-spoken white boy in doing very naughty things mm. where I definitely shouldn't have survived it, let alone thrived. Wow. You know, um, I've only met four billionaires in the last, in the last two years, I met four billionaires. Hold on a sec. <laughs> you said only, you met a billionaire per quarter. Billionaire per quarter, two years. Two years, okay. Yeah, Biannually. Every six yeah, biannually. Biannually, exactly. Converted two of them to clients. Converted two of them to <laughs> Really? The two worst ones. <laughs> two worst ones. Wow. Okay. Their money was easier to take. Right. Yeah, billionaires versus bangers. Mm. I didn't think that the episode would get here. <laughs> but guys, we do have to bounce. Unfortunately, today was a very short one. I, the thing is with Chris, we usually have very long conversations, so this is very out of the like out of the ordinary for us. Like, it's usually like a good couple hours yeah. that we chopping up with Chris. But unfortunately, today we just did not have the time. Um, but what we do want to do is get you back for another another round. So literally Thank round you. two. Yeah. Um, and you're more, you're more than welcome. And I'm very much looking forward to it. I know the people are looking forward to it because next time we're going to be speaking more about, I guess, you personally mm. and about the stuff you're going to be doing and stuff that you currently do. Basically more of the same, more, more of what we've been talking about today. Yeah. Um, and yeah. Anything else, Abby? No, man. I mean, all I'm going to say is just keep on inspiring the people, man. Like, as I said to you, you are a huge pillar into what you've done, into, into, what, you've done, into what we've done in our careers. And... You said downstairs that you've helped 10,000 people get... I've, I've provided 10,000 days employment to uh, non-white creatives in the UK. That's incredible. I think um, I was trying to do my net figures the other day. And I don't know, we're probably up to like 40k-ish opportunities net. Some, something like that. And this is all unfunded work. This is, this is helping people and helping them make money while we make money. Right, so those, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't believe that people should be serviced for free. I'm not trying to feed people. I'm trying to build farms. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Mm. I believe young people have value. Therefore, they should be paid for their contributions to society and people should pay for that contribution because their voice is powerful and valid in the market space. Mm -hmm. You spend all this money impersonating it on your apps, mm. you know, yeah. So all of that is real paid work. Mm. But it's, it's bigger than that. I'll come back by part two. Mm. I'll have my net figures and it'll be crazy. No, please do, man. But as I say, I just want to say, we just want to say, 
We really appreciate you. Sincerely speaking, I'm sure the 10,000 people, or the X amount of people who've been serviced and helped by you also appreciate you too, man. And Thank you. Keep on doing what you're doing, brother, man. Yeah, Thank you so people, much. People appreciate you as well. Well, you, you better appreciate <laughs> That's the reason why you're looking at what you're looking at right now. Uh-huh. That's the reason why Purpose Led is leading and it's leading. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And we're doing what we're doing. It's because of where we started. So I appreciate you and the YC UK team. Uh, you, you, got, you guys always had it. That's why I liked you too. When you walked in, I remember. I can still remember first meeting the pair of you and we, we straight away got into it. Yeah, I remember. And whatever, some people, when they have ambition combined with talent and work ethic, all they need is traction. That's all you two needed. So you can big me up. But all I did, all I did really was stop and say, yeah, keep going. Mm. That was it. Really, you could put a complex narrative, but that was it. Now you've got it. Keep going. Here's, here's the tools. Crack on. Do you know what I mean? And look, look at what you guys built. You should be very proud of yourselves. Thank you. Thank you, bro. And that's all some young creatives need. Yeah? Yeah. Some of them need. But guys, unfortunately, we have to cut it there. It's been a pleasure. It's been amazing. First time back in the studio. Yeah, my New Year 2025. New Year save us, man. Yeah, still pushing, man. Still feeding the people, still feeding the streets, man. <laughs> so, guys, that is what we have time for today. I've been and still am Jonathan. And I am and still will be Robert Pissay. And I am and still will be Christoph Taylor. Well, <laughs> let's go. Purpose <laughs> then. Love for watching. Bye, girl. Wow. Peace.